wondering if uh, never, uh, some of you want to say something start about to eat moms. Until mom D- don't start the recording just yet. My Maybe somebody wants to say something about anything moms. Left. It's by the time my mom sat down. <laughs> so Valerie straightened me out. Well, <laughs> did you hear that laugh? <laughs> First laugh, well, not quite straight yet, but we're working on it. Huh? Yeah, working, thank you, yeah. That's a that's a vote from a board member up there. So, <laughs> oh dear, yeah, I I love the story. I, I know you've probably heard it a thousand times from the the time we had Monsignor Adorti come over for for a, a, a meal, and of course <coughs> when we sit down, it's like you better grab the food because you just might not get any anything, and so it's like kind of like mayhem. Here's my mom up serving, just going on, and and Monsignor Adorti interrupted and said, "Excuse me, do you mind if we give thanks?" And uh, my father <coughs> said, uh, Monsignor, we have a policy in our house that we each say our own prayer before we eat. And me being the 10-year-old little boy, I said, we do? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank God Monsignor had already followed through. He said, how about this one time we give thanks together? Yeah, thank you, Monsignor Adority. I'm in James chapter 1. Starting with verse 19, we just teach through the Bible a book at a time. My personal goal for today (coughs) is about becoming a a doer of the word. I I am in a vulnerable spot here as a teacher of the word in that I am in no way perfected, nor do I profess to be. And and that makes me very, 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 very vulnerable, especially if people are in a mode where they're critical of me in a season of church leadership that, you know, you can easily hear what I teach and you could say, uh, yeah, if he would just hear what he's saying himself. Well, <clears throat> okay, you know, I, I think I say every week, this is where I need to work uh, because I recognize that that I'm, I'm a work in progress. He's still working on me. And thank God for that. So I do want to become more of a doer of the word. And I think you'll hear this as we go. So let's read the text. James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers... And sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. What are the next four words? Yeah, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Verse 26 Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So there are two words in our text today that that help us in grasping this passage. They're, They're the words that are the ligaments that, that hold the bone structure together, all of this. And the reason 
we need to work this text the way we are today is because of these two words. And those two words are listening and doing. So I want to take those two words separately and, uh, let, and let, let's see what God has for us today. The first word is, is listen. Very simple word in the original language. It's the word ho. <laughs> hey there. You know, pay attention. Hello. Attention, please. But it's, it's more than simply paying attention or listening intently to because the heartbeat of James here is to hear it in such a way that it grabs a hold of you, literally becoming a part of who, who you are. You know, when we read a book, there are, are two extremes, and, and, and this is the far right and the far left as to how you can approach a book. And one of those extremes is to simply read it because it's been assigned. You've got to make the grade. You know, you're in school, you're in college, you've get, been given this reading assignment. So you read it because you have to, and when you're reading because you have to, your eyes kind of scan the page looking for key bits of information just enough to help you ha have information to show that you've indeed been able to check off the little box that says mission accomplished, goal done, I did my assignment. But it never becomes us. It never grabs a hold of us and becomes a part of who we are. But the opposite side of that, let, let's call it impact reading. And this is the, the kind of reading that makes you want to go back over the material again and again and again. may even uh, kind of pull you toward getting out the highlighter or maybe getting out a little pad to take notes. And, and as you're reading this, you want to share with somebody what it is that, that you're learning. A, a good example, when I was about 17 years of age, I was beginning to notice Christian kids on my school campus, kids that were really living out their faith. And I was being drawn to these students. I, I really wasn't a, a believer at this point. I mean, I had an understanding of God. I was raised in the faith. But, I, but Christ really and his word really hadn't come alive in me. But these Christian friends were all reading this book that had, was having incredible impact on them. And I even looked up the book uh, and have discovered that it's since become uh, a classic among Christian writing. It's a book called I Love the Girl by Walter Trowish. And uh, what this is, it's, it's a letter between a, a pastor and an African young man who's struggling with the whole business of relationships, bibl biblical relationships, love, and marriage. And at this stage of my life, I, I couldn't have imagined reading something and, and it impacting me the way that it did in, in, in this area. I couldn't imagine myself ever wanting a God kind of relationship or even c considering it. You know, you could call me a young romantic. You could call me a hormonal time bomb. <laughs> you could call me a Casanova kid or, or this passionate young Italian boy. Call me what you want. On that, I love the book. I devoured the book. I mean, it. it the more important, I think the book grabbed a hold of me, and the concepts of the book really transformed my life. I was listening in a way that I was grabbing a hold of what I was reading. It's impact reading. So here's James, and James wants us to fully grasp what it is that he's trying to tell us. So he says, "Take note." Write it down. Hold on to it because there's something here that's worth grabbing a hold of. The word listen, as far as I can tell, shows up three times in this passage. Verse 19, 
verse 21, verse, verse 23. However, there are also supporting words for the word listen here. If you go back to verse 19, the words take note. Verse 21, accept or receive. You know, you are what you eat, so eat this. <laughs> and then in verse 25, by way of an, an analogy, that here we're given this, this story of someone who is indeed taking a hold of what has been said. So it says there, they have not forgotten what they have heard. We're talking about impact reading. James says, get a hold of this. It's crucial to your life. So now backing up to verse 19, this would be a great life verse for all of us and maybe uh, especially for some of us <laughs> where it says, you know, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Have you ever thought about the fact that you were only given one mouth? I mean, I know some of us have been accused of being able to speak out both sides of our mouths mouth at the same time. But bottom line, we've only been given one mouth. On, on the other hand, we've been given two ears, right? One mouth and two ears. A uh, Greek Stoic philosopher Epictetus is credited for this statement. We have two ears and one mouth so that we can listen twice as much as we speak. That's a good idea. Yeah, written years and years ago. Evidently, we haven't changed much. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Now, you might be sitting there hearing this, and you're thinking about somebody else who needs to hear that. I mean... By now, you might have already nudged the person next to you, right? Yeah, I wish you'd be a little quicker to listen. I wish you'd be a little slower to speak. I wish you'd see that you need some work on this anger thing. Yeah, but here's the deal. We really don't have a whole lot of control over other people. I mean, there might be a possibility of that timely moment when we're able to speak into their lives, but largely what we can do is pray for them and love them. So if anybody is going to get anything out of this statement right now, I'm afraid it has to be you and me. And that is if we're willing to grab a hold of what's being said. Listen. Yeah. All right. Now, I, I just want to back up a moment and, and show us where we've been in our city of James because I think it works well here and help us move forward on this. Last week, we talked about overcoming temptation, the reality of temptation and, and how we deal, deal with it. Two weeks ago, we talked about life's trials, life's tests, and what they're all about and, and what we can do with those. In the midst of these things, we came to verse 5 that essentially says, if in the midst of life's trials and testings and difficulties and hardships, if in the midst of them you need wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all and will not find fault. So we're told to ask for wisdom. Now, the flip side of that is our tendency in life's trials and tests and struggles, rather than going to God and asking, which requires a listening piece, our tendency is to vent no, you can't relate to that. Our tendency is to express our frustration. 
our frustration, and not necessarily to God, although sometimes God's name is invoked in the, in the midst of our frustration, but that's our tendency. And here we're giving, uh, given another uh, idea. Instead of spouting off how we feel, how about if we are quick in listening, slow in speaking, and slower in becoming angry and then going on with it because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I want to keep going. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, which means common among men. The normal default mode is to vent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Oh, interesting idea right there. Put a damper on your mouth because in doing so will allow you to be reminded of the word of God, of the promises of God, of what it is God's doing and what he's going to do with all and in the midst of all of life's dilemmas because venting will not rescue you, (laughs) but pausing before the Father and listening will. Do you see it there? Huh? Do you see what it's saying right there? Yeah. Now, I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but in verse 19, each time I, I read it, I intentionally removed the conjunction and that your Bibles might have. And the reason I did that is because it's not in the original language. It says, slow to speak, slow to become angry. James is tying those two phrases Together, And he wants us to see they're so closely connected because speaking too quickly has to do with anger and frustration. And for that reason, it's better to be accused of being quick to listen than it is to be accused of being too quick with your mouth. Calm down. Get in the presence of the Father and hear the wisdom he wants to speak into your life. That's a great application. It's a great one for me. And I have a hunch it's a great one for some of you. Listen. That's the first one. Listen. Go ahead. In the midst of life's frustrations, there's something to be heard. Yeah. Next word, do. Do. If you want to know what verse best summarizes the book of James, most scholars would point you to verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I counted the word do six times here. Uh, James in no way is now discrediting the listening part, but he's pairing the two together. He's saying they're two sides of the same coin. On one side, there's listening. On the other side, there's doing. Remember, he wants us to grasp what's being said here in order that it affects our attitudes and our actions. So the two are working together. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. What is that? That's grace. We're created in Christ Jesus, recreated in Christ Jesus to do good works. What's that? That's our spiritual transformation. 
which God prepares in advance for us to do so that faith in Christ, God's grace working in our lives, produces a transformation in the way we approach life. It, approach, it creates a transformation in our attitudes, in our actions. And those who hear the word without going about life being different may be guilty of practicing a fake faith. That's what's happening. And, and you see, w what might be the problem is that we have too many auditors in the Western world church today. And when I say auditors, I know that many of us pay those quarterly tax bills. hasn't been that long ago since we paid our taxes and such. But that's not what we're talking about right here. We're talking about auditing such as auditing a class. It's kind of a common expression in colleges and, and, and universities. And, and this is where a student can sit and listen to a, a professor speak solely for the purpose of of self-enrichment, okay? Now, there might be a piece in there of academic exploration. Some students might take a class and audit it because next year they plan to take the class for credit and they would like to get that kind of a head start. But largely, it's, it's about self-enrichment. Not much required. You pay a nominal fee. Uh, might be limited uh, to availability of space. Uh, bottom line, there's no benefit of, of credit for the class. Uh, nor is there any kind of accountability uh, for, for a grade here. You don't have to buy a textbook. You don't have to write any papers. You don't have to take the, the final. You know, there just isn't a whole lot required. You just sit there and you listen. Generally speaking, the student's not going to do much with what they hear except maybe feel a little bit smarter. Okay, this is auditing a class. So what we could say is that an auditor of a class is a person who receives instruction but does nothing with the instruction. Huh. Well, James wants us to know that in the Christian life, there is no auditing allowed. It doesn't work. It isn't going to get you anywhere. <laughs> Timothy, describing the church in the last days, right, a fallen church. He says, he says this, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Auditors, sitting there listening. We're here for personal enrichment. We're here for academic exploration. But don't expect us to do anything with it. Preacher, make us feel good. Preacher, ease the pain and the hardship of life. Preacher, give me something that will just get me through Monday morning. Get me through tomorrow. But don't expect anything to change. <laughs> in fact, I know an atheist personally who is in church more regularly than professing Christians. He goes every week and he loves to hear preaching, but nothing ever changes. He's an auditor, a curious observer. Yeah. Toward the end of King Saul's life, he'd lost God's favor, he'd lost the Holy Spirit anointing on his life, and he was, oh, inflicted by an evil spirit that would just come and, and make his life miserable. 
but he found something that would soothe him. He found a little shepherd boy by the name of David, and David would come and play his harp, and whenever David would come and play his harp for King Saul, the spirit would leave, and King Saul would find comfort. But it, it didn't change anything. The songs David would play clearly reflected the word of God, so Saul was hearing the word of God, but it was giving Saul comfort. It just wasn't doing anything beyond that. It never led to a repentant heart, never resulted in a change of attitude, never resulted in a change of, of action. He was listening, but it never produced the kind of results for which God's word was Word of God brings transformation. The grace of God restores relationship with God. And through that very same grace and the word, God moves us forward to be a part of his kingdom business. The two work together. Now, we come to verse 23, and we get two examples of auditors here. The first guy is a guy who looks into the mirror, and then he walks away and quickly forgets what he looks like. The purpose of the mirror in this context is to see what needs to be adjusted and then to go ahead and adjust accordingly, okay? So this first guy sees something that needs to be adjusted and quickly forgets and goes on his way. At the time this was written, a mirror was maybe a, a polished piece of steel, okay? Not the clarity of a mirror that we have, but enough of an image that would kind of give an impression so you could see what needed to be adjusted and adjusted. <laughs> when I was thinking about this, I thought about the first uh, public place our church ever met. Okay, Our first meeting place outside of a home was the aerobics room at Rocky Mountain Athletic Club. And it, it was kind of a preacher's dream because there were mirrors in that room on every wall. <clears throat> it, it really made the crowd look much bigger. <laughs> Especially candlelight services. <laughs> just multiplied those candles. You didn't have to go to the bathroom to adjust anything. You watch people all the time turning mirrors, adjusting <laughs> accordingly, whatever had to be done. And, and I, I personally love to work out. And I, it's very interesting how we respond to mirrors because there's always mirrors in health clubs, you know. And guys like to wear those cut sleeves and come walking in and think, yep, looking pretty good today, feeling good about myself, right? Yeah, we could even walk by a window, and if the reflection's right, you know, we're kind of walking by like this. But, but the older I get, the less I'm appreciating mirrors of, wow, you can relate to that, right? Not just because of the physical disappointment that is there, and that's what you're thinking looking at me, thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but you realize some mornings I have to put on five different shirts before I can walk up to the mirror and say, oh, that one doesn't have any spots on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm a mess. <laughs> Few people can relate to that. The purpose of the mirror in this analogy is to see what needs to be adjusted and then to adjust it. God is a mirror. God's word is a mirror. God wants to transform us into his image, and there are some things that need to be. Anybody have need for some adjusting? Huh? And, and that's part of why we come to church. Wow, thank you for your honesty. Yeah, we come to church a little bit to be encouraged, 
uh, to take a look at ourselves, to be spurred on. You know, that word spurred on is a picture of, of a rider kicking a horse with his spurs to get him moving in the right direction because there's some adjusting that needs to be done. So the contrast of this is a person who looks in the mirror, gets a glimpse, but just doesn't do a thing with it. Let's call this person the conveniently forgetful hearer, okay? <laughs> just doesn't change a thing. But there's a second person here, and this person is the intentionally effectual hearer. Okay, this takes us to verse 25. This person gazes intently. Now, th notice the wording here, into the perfect law. And you've got to notice that this is not a law of bondage. This is not a law of legalism, right? This is the perfect law that sets people free. What is the perfect law that sets people free? See, the Old Testament law, the purpose of it was to show us we're in great dire straits. It's, it's a law of judgment. It shows us how desperately we need a Savior. It condemns. The law condemns. But not this law. This is the perfect law that breathes life. Romans says, uh, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Holy Spirit, empowering us to do what God wants us to do. What does God want us to do? Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing, things, there is no law. This is the perfect law that breathes liberty into our veins. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. First and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws of the prophets hang on these two commandments. So someone comes up to me one Sunday and says, that's it. That's all I need to know. If I just go about my life loving God, loving people, I don't need Jesus, right? <laughs> no. What those two things say is penalty. Go sit in the penalty box a little while. You need someone to rescue you. You need a savior because our tendency is always to take care of ourselves first. And we will love to the degree that we've got something of personal benefit to offer. But when the Holy Spirit comes in our lives, suddenly loving becomes who are we, who we're becoming because we're becoming more like him, and that's who he is. See, that's what we need to see in the mirror. We need to be adjusting in love. And, and that's why it moves on here. Now let's go to verse 26, because this is what this is all about. How are we doing? Is this good stuff or what? Amen, preacher. Preach on. Did I hear that? Okay. All right, verse 26, those who consider themselves religious. That's the word threskos. It means those who consider themselves true worshipers. And yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues. It's quick to anger, right? You've seen that? Deceive themselves. 
and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Why orphans and widows? Well, orphans and widows were the poorest of the poor in this day that this was written. How so? Well, here's the deal. Women in the time of Christ could not get jobs. It was just the way it was culturally. So if your husband died, it was a sentence to poverty, period. Take care of the widow. Orphans, interesting thing. Everybody had family businesses. Family business was passed down through the father. If you didn't have a father, that meant you were condemned to be a slave. It was a sentence to poverty. We're talking about the poorest of the poor. Take care of the orphans and widows in their distress. And secondly, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. When it says that, it isn't talking about keep oneself isolated from the world. That's not what this is about. To understand scriptures, we are to be in the world, just not infected by the world. So this is about influence. Who's influencing who? You, my friend, are an ambassador of the kingdom. And as an ambassador of the kingdom, what you have to offer is love. That is the love of God working in you so that not being corrupted by the world is about who's influencing who. Are we being influenced more by the temporal stuff, the fallen stuff of this world, or are we influencing the world toward the eternal stuff, the stuff of love that in the long haul really matters? Take a good look in the mirror. Okay, three questions for you. And I'm sorry that we don't have our own building where we could put pencils in the rack in front of you so you can get out a, one of those cards there or maybe an offering envelope and write down what the preacher's going to say. <laughs> but I want you to write down three questions. And this is the mirror that we need to see ourselves in. And with God's help, adjust accordingly. Are you ready for these? The first question. Some of you are still getting out stuff. That's awesome. I love you. Does anybody feel loved this morning? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you realize I love you? Do you realize it's a privilege to be able to serve you? Yeah, I do. It is. God bless you. You are loved, more importantly, by him. Okay, here we go. I think we're there. How am I doing controlling my tongue? then you might want to put the word anger there. It's about sticking out your tongue and saying, ah, right? Something need to be adjusted. How am I doing controlling my tongue? Take a good look in the mirror. Thank you. Second question. Am I consistently doing anything for the less fortunate? Am I consistently doing anything for the less fortunate? Hold up your wallet and ask, how am I personally meeting the needs of others? And isn't it fascinating? I'm not even asking for a dime for the kids. I'm asking, we're asking in the mirror, how are we doing meeting the needs? How are you doing? How am I doing meeting the needs of the less fortunate? Third question, 
Am I influencing the world more than the world is influencing me? Am I influencing the world more than the world is influencing me? Examine your life and ask, am I truly set apart for God's sacred purposes? Am I truly becoming an instrument of love? The question, am I influencing the world more than the world is influencing me? <laughs> Next week, we're going to talk about pushing others up. Okay, we're talking about gaining victory over favoritism because in God's kingdom economy, there are no superstars and there are no underdogs. The ground is level at the cross and we will press into chapter two. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Why don't we stand together? I'm going to invite our prayer partners to position our, themselves here and be available. I believe that the Holy Spirit is working, convincing of sin, showing people their need of a Savior, drawing people to the cross, grounds level at the cross. God has made a way for you. You can never earn your way into the kingdom. Jesus came to make a way for you. He is the way. If today you'd like to receive Jesus as your Savior, please call in his name and you will be saved. Allow him to be the, the master controller and the forgiver of your life. And you'll never be the same again. He'll fill you with his, his Holy Spirit, empowering you to do his will. Tell somebody if you're making that decision. Tell one of our prayer partners. If you need prayer for anything, even some of the stuff we've talked about, talk to them. Let them pray with you. But right now, consider for a moment what God has shown you and where you need to adjust and what you're going to do. What action steps will you take toward being different in this area of your life, in this attitude, in this attitude? Feel it on this Mother's Day, 2015. Lord, with your help, I surrender this area of my life to you. Take the throne of my life and make me the kind of person that you want me to be. Thank you for doing it. And thank you that you are patient with me and that you promise the work you began, you will carry on until I'm mature and complete, not lacking a thing. Consider these things as we continue to pray.